everybody. Good morning. Oh, wow. That's good. We got a response. I like that. It's always good. Well, um, I'm Steve Van Meter. If uh, some of you might not know me, I do. I lead our student ministries here at Medina East. I help lead that. And I just got to say that I'm excited. And if I'm honest, I'm nervous to be uh, preaching mostly to adults. Um, It's not all the time that I get to do that. But um, like I said, I do lead middle school and high school students, and that brings its own challenges. Um, But there is something that is kind of refreshing about this. So, you know, with teaching middle school and high school students, a lot, they're, they're just brutally honest, right? And so you'll start teaching, like, right now, and then at some point, uh, a student will just raise their hand, like, right in the middle of your teaching. Like, if you just start teaching, you'll be like, oh, man, they're probably, they probably want to contribute, say something awesome. So you're like, yeah, what's up, man? They're like, can we play a game now? And you're just like, no, man, we just started, like, teaching. <laughs> like, so it's, it's kind of refreshing because then there's you guys. You just uh, sit there, you listen, you take notes, and you check your Facebook quietly. So I'm kind of looking forward to that. That's good. So um, <laughs> like I said, I'm, I'm just excited and privileged to be able to uh, t- just to teach. Hopefully um, the Holy Spirit will be able to teach uh, through me today something to equip and empower all of us, something to uh, maybe uh, for the first time learn something new about Jesus or, or something along that line. So I'm excited about that. I've loved this series uh, I, upstairs at the upper room. I've been teaching through the same series for middle schoolers. And so it's just been a really awesome series, really excited about it. And if you haven't been here, it was your first time, or you, you haven't um, been around for the series for that much, uh, basically we're in the middle of a 13-week series, and we're talking about the Bible, right? So it's a 90-day trek through the Bible. We're trying to encourage people to read the Bible. So if we have any agenda at all through this series is that people would read their Bible. And so we're, we're just hoping that that's the thing that we're able to pick up. And so we've said two different things. We've We've said some things that we wanted to accomplish off the stage and on the stage. And so what I mean by that is off the stage, we have encouraged people to pick up a Bible plan and, and read the Bible. We have resources, uh, fun maps and things like that for you out in the Welcome Center as well as our website. And so we, we just want people to read the Bible. And the first week, if you, didn't, if you weren't with us, we basically asked the question, okay, what is the Bible? We should probably start there. What is the Bible? Why would we even read this thing? And so even if this is... Uh, like something that you don't read, or if you don't, um, if you've never read the Bible before, like this is hopefully a way to overview that. And so, off the stage, we're saying, man, there's a lot of people who have different perceptions of the Bible, right? There's a lot of people who think they know the Bible, and for many different reasons. Maybe because um, it, it, it's interesting, a lot of people, whether you believe in Jesus or you don't believe in Jesus, have a different view of the Bible. Maybe you know it by the hurtful sign or, um, during a protest, and you're like, well, that's probably what the Bible says. That's what these guys are saying. Or maybe you've just heard it your entire life growing up in church, and you've heard the cute stories and things like that. And, or maybe that's your view. Or maybe um, you just, you've seen people take, the, what, take passages out of context and be like, see, the Bible is incorrect. Like, this says this in the Old Testament, this says this in the New Testament. It's a contradiction. And you're like, well, that's out of context. So maybe those are your views of the Bible. So we're asking, what is the Bible? Why even read this thing? And then we said, um, just basically to sum up the entire Bible, we said that it is, if we can say it in just an easy-to-understand phrase, it is basically God's rescue plan for us, God's rescue plan. Because it's God's rescue plan, each week we've gone through several different head um, subheadings. So we've talked about, um, before we talked about what we were saved um, from, and then right now we're talking about what we are saved by, and soon we're going to talk about what we are saved to. And so today we get to continue the conversation on what we are saved by. I'm really excited about that. Um, and just so you know, uh, there's a, a number here that you can text questions to. We've also been saying that. So 
Like seriously, um, if you have any questions during this, this whole teaching, pull out your phone, text those questions. We answer those questions. And um, you can find those questions answered on podcasts at medinaeast.graceohio.org. There's a tab that says 90, 90 resources. And so that's where you can find those podcasts and those reading plans and anything like that. So I would encourage you, check that out, get in a reading plan, and um, that's a good way to get in on the, the teaching series here. Well, I should probably uh, just pray for us in our time here today. So if you would join me in some prayer. Uh, God, I just thank you for uh, just, just using me to be able to teach your word. Lord, I just pray that uh, you would um, just teach us something today. I just pray that, that I'm just faithful in what your message is to your people. And so, God, I just need you. And I just, uh, just pray for everyone here today that we would be able to um, maybe understand the Bible and maybe understand Jesus a little bit better today. I just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, but before we dive deeper into the story of the Bible, I think it might be good to go over the story of my life a little bit and kind of tie that into uh, the teaching a little bit. Like I said, I haven't um, preached uh, in the main auditorium for a while, so I thought that might be helpful. So basically, my story before knowing Jesus was, was kind of lame, right? So there wasn't any, like, crazy addiction ruining my life or a life-or-death situation necessarily happening in my life. Um, but you gotta, it's kind of curious, like, how did I go from being, com- like, basically completely unchurched, not knowing anything about Jesus, um, to eventually working full-time on staff at a church, right? So how did I get there? Well, basically, in my life, I was, I was you know, I thought I was doing pretty good, um, you know, I, I just did my own thing, did whatever I wanted to all the time. Like, that's just, like, I'm doing good. I'm fine. Like, I don't need anything. <laughs> that's how I felt growing up. And then um, but the only frame of reference I had was, like, other people. So I would, like, see other people. And I'm like, well, I'm doing better than them. So, like, my, life, my life's fine, right? I can play video games, like, 40 hours a week. I'm good. Like, that's, that's my deal, right? And so, but then I, I started doing what others did. You know, I started drinking, I started smoking, started getting tattoos, going, chasing after girls all around 16, uh, fumbling through high school, failing out of college because uh, suppressed by debt and just a lack of vision, a lack of motivation, personal motivation. I just didn't care. And um, just working three jobs because I was chasing money. And so those are the things that I did. And so I knew at one point, I was like, man, I'm down to two full-time jobs. I'm doing landscaping and I'm playing video games. And I don't get paid for playing video games. So I'm like, I got to do something about this. So I decided that I would join the Air Force. And not that the Air Force is a bad thing, but I did it for all the wrong reasons. I'm like, man, I need something to serve me, right? So I'm like, I'll go through boot camp. I'll start working out and get in shape um, so that my country would serve me. I didn't care anything about my country. I just wanted something to serve me. And so that's what I did. I, I started to do that. And so through that process of attempting to enlist and working out with a buddy, um, I heard for the first time the gospel. I heard about the person of Jesus um, from the friend that I was working out with. He had accepted Christ, and it really weirded me out. So I was like, that's kind of weird. He was the kind of guy who, like, he was anything but godly. He was the kind of guy I used to party with and always get in trouble. And so I was like, that's really weird. But he kept inviting me to New Perspective, our young adult ministry that Clark leads here. Um, he invited me to that when uh, Tony, Pastor Tony was leading it. And so I go there for the first time. And I'll never forget this, and maybe some of you have had the same or a similar experience, but I heard Tony preaching, and I just got really mad. I was like, who is this guy? Like, why? Like, who is he to tell me that, like, my life is, is whatever, right? And so I just remember getting really mad at him, but he was just preaching the gospel. He basically said that, you know, we're all diseased, and in order to be cured, we need to come to know Jesus. And I'm like, you don't know me, dude. Like, that's like, you're telling me that's the only way to, like, 
have a, have a good life and like know God. I'm like, yeah, whatever. But I wasn't even opposed to God. I just wasn't, I just, I was just opposed to that view of God. And so even though he made me mad, I, I started investigating Jesus. My friends started telling me more about it. And it's just, it was crazy. I found out that, you know, I'm a person who would selfishly look for something like uh, the military to serve me. And Jesus is a person who suffered through death to serve me, to like serve us. And I just remember being rocked by that story. August 10th, 2011, I accepted Jesus. I accepted the good news, the story of the gospel. And today I'm discipled by Jesus and other followers of Jesus. I have a, a wife who loves Jesus and we have a son who hopefully will be able to raise up to know and love and serve Jesus. And so um, that's, that's what gets me excited. So like I said before, meeting Christ, my, my story was just kind of lame. I wasn't going where I wasn't really doing anything. Um, it wasn't until I heard the story of Jesus that my, my story really changed. I was transformed. And so that's why I'm just excited to be here and to share with you a concept not only found in my story, but also in the story of the Bible. And this concept is that we are saved by the gospel. That we're saved by the gospel. So to start us off, let's check out another person's story in the Bible, uh, somewhat kind of similar to mine. And it's a story where this guy was doing his thing. He was just living his life, whatever, everything was fine. And then someone came up and told him about the story of Jesus. So if you wouldn't mind turning to Acts chapter 8 with me. It's on page 764 in the Bibles that are in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab that, take that home, it's yours. Or get on an app if you're into that kind of thing and um, get there to Acts chapter 8. But while you're turning there, let me uh, catch you up on what's going on in this passage. Basically, this guy named Philip, a disciple of Jesus... Uh, an angel pretty much told him, he's like, hey man, go to the desert. And he's like, all right. So he goes to the desert and he sees an Ethiopian eunuch and, um, who, who was in charge of his queen's money. So he's a treasurer, right? And so he's a big deal. He's a higher up in the kingdom and he's probably rich with some influence and power and wealth and he's doing well. And then we're told that he's returning basically from like a worship conference in Jerusalem and he's returning home. He's in his chariot and he's reading. And so the spirit tells Philip to go and join this chariot. And so he does, and this is where we pick up in verse 30 in Acts chapter 8. It says, Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. And he says this, Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. Just pause there for a second. Like, I don't know, what would you do if this happened? You say you're reading your Bible in your car, you're like stopped, someone comes up and knocks on your window. First you'd be like, whoa, why are you, what are you doing? And then they're just like, hey man, I, I noticed you're reading the Bible. Like, do you understand what you're reading? Like, it, it just kind of seems like an insult. And so that's exactly what Philip does. And he's like, man, it sounds like you're struggling. But it actually makes sense. If any of you have ever read the Old Testament, or maybe you've started one of these Bible plans in the Old Testament, you're like, that's actually a good question. Half the time, I don't understand what I'm reading. There's like crazy stuff. What's with all the names? There's all these names in the Bible. There's like chapters dedicated. I can't even say the names. That's so weird. And so (coughs) speaking of names, like the only thing we know about this guy is that his name is the eunuch. Maybe you don't know what a eunuch is, okay? And so if, if you have been following the um, reading plans, you might be in the book of Romans right now. And the, the book of Romans says a lot about circumcision. So a eunuch is basically like a circumcised person, but like all the way, if you're following. Okay, so that's a eunuch. I'm just saying, I didn't make it up. Um, but it's probably to prevent any sexual affairs or anything with the queen because he was working for the queen. And so it, it's kind of funny, like, man, can you imagine like, man, I made the Bible. They, they didn't even use my name though. They just called me the eunuch. I'm always just called the eunuch. And so it, what's interesting and why it's funny is because the Bible does this often for a purpose. For example, with the, in the eunuch's case, in Deuteronomy 23.1, it talks about um, specifics, specific laws and rules that are for eunuchs. 
And basically what it says is that a eunuch cannot enter into the assembly of God. So what that means is that a eunuch is, is impure, okay? And because they're impure, they can't have as close of a relationship as maybe a Jewish person or somebody, um, uh, one of God's chosen people, right? And so it's very interesting because it, it's, it's almost hard to understand. You're like, that's weird. I, like, that's not the God that I know, right? Well, this actually explains God's holiness. And so Seth said a few weeks back, um, he used the analogy that God's holiness and is like the sun, Okay, so the sun, it's like a source of life, it, it's a source of power, and it helps fuel life. And, but if you get too close to the sun, like, you're going to die, right? It's going to kill you if you get too close to the sun. And it's just like that with God's holiness. You see, back in Genesis when Adam and Eve sinned, um, well, before that, really, uh, Adam and Eve were able to live among and in close relationship with God. They were, in, they were pure. And then when we sinned, we disconnected ourselves from God, we became impure, they were no longer able to be in the same presence as God. And so that's the analogy. That's, how, that's the same thing that's happening um, with the eunuch here. So anyways, Philip asked, um, in verse 30, Philip asked if, if the eunuch understood what he was reading. And we'll pick back up in verse 31. Then the eunuch says this, How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or somebody else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Verse 35 is really important. It kicks us off in our conversation today in a profound way. See, Philip began with the scripture, capital S scripture, when he could have just simply answered the question. Was it, is it this person? Is it someone else? He could have just said a name. He could have answered his question. But instead, um, that capital S scripture you see there is referring to the Old Testament, right? That's what Isaiah would have had in his hand. Um, Isaiah was a rich man, and it was kind of hard to get manuscripts at that time of the Bible. Um, it took a lot of, like, paper was expensive. It's not like it is today. We don't have, like, you know, today we have, like, 20 Bibles in our homes. And then it was, like, it wasn't as easily accessible to get Bibles. So he's referring to the Old Testament. And it's the same exact passage that the eunuch was reading in order to tell him the good news about Jesus. So that phrase there literally translates to the Greek as he preached, okay? So he preached Jesus to him. It's the Greek word that means preach the gospel. It's very interesting. He's preaching the gospel, but he's going back to the Old Testament to do it. So real quick, we should probably define what the gospel is. If you were to Google um, the definition of what the gospel is, you'll see like Merriam-Webster Dictionary. You'll see um, pastors and their witty responses and definitions of what it is. You'll see like scholarly people and their scholarly words for what the, Bible, uh, what the gospel is. But here's a couple I like. This guy, um, Scott McKnight, I don't know if you've ever heard of him. He has a really good book called The King Jesus Gospel. It kind of will blow your mind. It's kind of interesting. But he says this. He defines the gospel this way. The gospel is to announce that the story of Jesus, who is Messiah and King, Lord and Savior, fulfills or completes the story of Israel. It is the good news that God's promises have now been realized in Jesus, Messiah, Lord, and Savior. It's all about the story of Jesus. And he's saying it's the same story that is fulfilling Isaiah's story. The story of Jesus is not just something found in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, in the New Testament. It's something that started in the Old Testament, predicted, and is fulfilled in the New Testament. It's always been around. That's what he's getting at. 
Or if you've been around Medina East for any amount of time, you would have heard us define the gospel this way. We, all, we often say that we are more messed up than we think we are, and, but we are more accepted than we can imagine, right? So we say that that's the gospel. And much like the unit's perspective, it doesn't matter how impure you are, how messed up you are, what, what you did in your past, what you are going to do in your future, and the dumb decisions we're making right now, that doesn't matter. He said that there is grace for sinners, that there is hope in the acceptance of Jesus. And so both of these definitions are good because it reveals that, yeah, a story of Jesus is in the Old Testament, the New Testament, but we are also involved in that story. God wants us to be involved in that story. We are involved in that story. And so back to the passage um, here. Philip, he could have started with a gospel according to Luke, right? He could have easily done that. Um, after all, Acts, where we're at, it, it was written by Luke after Luke. And so he could have just started there because it would have been verbal and written um, accounts on Jesus' burial, death, resurrection, all that. Those are aspects of the gospel. He could have went there, but he didn't. Instead, he goes back to the Old Testament, and so will we. It's very interesting. It's almost like Philip is saying, oh, wait, you're, you're reading the Old Testament? That's Jesus we're talking about, straight out of the Old Testament, right? Straight out of the Old Testament. So I don't know if you guys have ever seen this before because you're not laughing, but some of you are. Okay, you guys are getting it now? All right. So, hey, 26, I'm married, I have a kid, I got to be relevant, right? So I just thought this was funny. Philip is basically like, yeah, straight out of the Old Testament. So if you don't know what I'm talking about, if you're not laughing, it's basically a movie that I'm probably not going to watch, and it's this thing called a meme. I don't know, just like, get, on, get an Instagram account, you'll, you'll figure it all out. It's an interesting world we live in. All right. <laughs> so amidst all those going on in the Old Testament, we see something profound, something that you don't see in any other religious writings, you don't see by any other um, claimed religious leader. And we see that we have the king, the true king, who is Jesus, and his gospel predicted and proclaimed with some crazy detail 700 years, even thousands, like thousands of years before it was even fulfilled. Specifically in Isaiah, 700 years before it's fulfilled, we see the gospel story of Jesus. And it all happens through the prophet Isaiah. So let me give you some background on Isaiah and the book of Isaiah. That might be helpful. One of the reasons that we like to go back to the Hebrew and to the Greek isn't just because we're Bible nerds up here, though we are, right? But it actually means something. There's a point. And so Isaiah, it actually means Yahweh is salvation. Okay, so if you never heard this, the word Yahweh, that's just basically a word for God the Father, right? Yahweh is salvation. That's what it means, and that's the primary purpose of this message, so Isaiah is a prophet. He's communicating God's message to God's people, and he's telling them about the restoration to come. And he's talking about God's rescue plan, his restoration to come, and that grace is available for sinners. Who is a sinner? Like we all are. So grace is available to who? Like everybody. That's the message. Well, actually, the first 39 chapters of Isaiah is kind of proclaiming judgment, and then it's talking about restoration. But you've got to start with the bad news first, right? So that's what he's doing. And I love what this pastor, this is pastor in Columbus, I love what he said, um, he said that it would be fitting to call this book The Gospel According to Isaiah. I thought that was really good because that's exactly what we see in the conversation between Philip and the eunuch as they read through the same scripture that we're about to read. And so what, what they're talking about is that Isaiah is all about Jesus. It's the gospel of Jesus according to Isaiah the prophet. And so the book is crazy. If you never read, read Isaiah, like spend a couple hours reading. It's a long, long book, but it's worth it. It's um, basically, what's really cool about um, seeing Jesus in here is that you see Jesus' first 
coming in Isaiah chapters 42 to 43. And he even talks about his second coming in 14 other passages and describes Jesus as king, as conqueror. And as we'll see in this um, passage that we're going to go over, he's a suffering servant. He's a suffering servant. And so the craziest part, like I already said, is that what we're about to read has been prophesied, communicated, recorded in such ridiculous detail 700 years before Jesus himself fulfilled it. So if you wouldn't mind, turn to Isaiah 52 for me. Uh, It's on page 511 if you're reading the books um, that we provide for you. But before we read it, as you guys are turning there, I have to tell you, I still nerd out as much as I always have. I'm still a nerd. So the other day I was reading a tech um, forum website that I like to read, and I saw something interesting, um, an interesting report from Microsoft Canada, okay? It's not very often that I talk about Microsoft, but this is good. So they they have um, a report about attention spans, and so... (laughs) You've got to check this out. Uh, this was published just like a couple months ago. We know human attention is dwindling, right? Like, that's how, that title is just hilarious. It's like, we know people are getting dumber, right? And so, basically, in the year 2000, 12 seconds was the average human attention span. In 2013, it dropped to 8 seconds. But there's more. Just so you have a frame of reference, 9 seconds is the attention span of a goldfish. Okay. So if you zoned out 8 seconds ago and you're like, why are we talking about a goldfish? Well... I, I'm asking the same question. I'm not sure. Like, how do, you, how do you get that? How do you get, like, oh, man, like, our attention span is dwindling. Let's find, like, a really dumb animal and figure out what the attention span is. It's weird. Maybe, maybe it's just Microsoft. They're weird. I don't know. Um, and then there's this other thing that it showed, if you want to pull up the next slide. So addictive technology behaviors, you know it's Canadian because that's not how you spell behaviors, are evident, particularly for younger Canadians, right? And so... What's hilarious is because what this says, basically, if you're 18 to 24, you wear a hat, you have a slanted mouth, and are addicted to your phones, especially when you're bored, okay? <laughs> oh, and if you're 65 and older and Canadian, apparently you're a hipster because, <laughs> I don't know, that's what that looks like. That's totally a hipster, right? All right. So that's a way too long explanation to tell you guys that I'm going to read a kind of long passage of the Bible, and I don't want you to zone out. I want you to, to read this with me, okay? I'm reading 52 to 53 Isaiah. It's such a good passage, and I want you guys to, to follow along with me. And um, actually, I'm not going to put it on the screen because it's a lot. Maybe I was lazy, but it's a lot to put on the screen. We're going to go old school. We're going to read from the paper. Um, although, if, if I was teaching students, I would pawn off of them and say, who wants to read, right? Um, that might be awkward if I do it here, but does anybody want to read? <laughs> I'm just kidding. All right. Oh, and by the way, if you're following along, I have something helpful here. So you're going to see a couple different words. Uh, over time, as we read the passage, you're going to see servant, he, or him, and that's referring to Jesus, okay? And then you're going to see I or my, that's referring to God the Father, and then you'll see we or us, and that's like everybody else, right? And so this will be helpful as we go through this whole passage. So 53 verse 13, we're going to start there. Check this out. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man, and his form marred beyond human likeness. So will he sprinkle many nations, and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were told, for what they were not told, they will see, and what they have not heard, they will understand. In chapter 53, who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, 
a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And his wounds, we are, by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people, he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. All right. Well, that's a lot. And... It's just like, I don't know, I just get worked up reading this passage. It's, it's such a good passage. If you know, it's, it's somewhat a popular passage, but there, there's just so much in here. There's so much that I want to, like, tell you about this, but there's more than I have time to tell you. Unless, I mean, we can go a couple hours, right? But we're probably not going to. So, basically, the point is that, in, not just in Isaiah, but the Bible holistically tells us that God has one story. And it's, a, and it's the gospel, or set of good news that reveals, us, that reveals and restores us to relationship with God. And for thousands of years, the Bible has pointed to the person of Jesus Christ, okay? And so we read Acts, and it alludes to Isaiah, and we read Isaiah, and it shows us that the same gospel that was launched in the Old Testament is fulfilled in the New Testament, and it is by this gospel that we are saved. So that's our big point here. Let me, let me just show you exactly what I mean. Let me show you how, um, just, just so we see how the gospel, like I'm saying, is launched in the Old Testament how it's fulfilled in the New Testament, how it's um, all pointing to Jesus. So we're going to go over different aspects of the gospel um, through Isaiah, and I'll show you how they're fulfilled. So the first one here is uh, Jesus' suffering. I have it on the screen. Jesus' suffering. So more than just, like this whole passage talks about Jesus' suffering, which is very interesting because if you read um, the chapters before um, in Isaiah, it talks about how the future king is going to be a king. He's going to come victoriously. Right? And so it, it's kind of like, oh, man, this king, he's going to be awesome. I can't wait for that to happen. And then it goes like, oh, wait. But he's going to be like, he's going to suffer and die. And you're kind of like, what? That's weird. Some people still think that. And so Isaiah 53, verse 3 says this, just to recap. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Specifically, we see this prophecy fulfilled in John 19, verses 1 through 27, um, as Jesus is sent on his way from Pilate, being, he's, he's getting flogged, he's getting beaten, he's getting spitting on, he's getting cursed. Like, if you've seen the Passion of Christ, it's like that horrible scene, like that's what's happening. 
Jesus' suffering that way. But Jesus experienced possibly every kind of suffering, not just painful suffering in this way, but he, he probably, he, he, he did. He suffered every suffering imaginable. He suffered spiritually, relationally, physically, emotionally, financially. We see that all in the Bible. And maybe you can relate to this. Maybe um, perhaps you're suffering in one of these areas today as well. Maybe you thought that you had a spiritual foundation in Jesus and you've just been like, you, you just can't figure that out anymore. I talked to a student about that not too long ago. And so you're struggling with that. Maybe you had relationships that you could trust until they were broken. Maybe you were fine physically until you got diagnosed. Maybe you used to be stable in your emotions and now they're controlling you. Maybe you used to be financially okay until you lost a job. So where we would probably never intentionally or on purpose put ourselves in any one of those situations, Jesus, he intentionally on purpose put himself in all of those situations to fulfill his plan, to fulfill his plan for us, the plan of restoration. And then we come to Jesus' death, and we see that in Isaiah 53, verse 7 to 8. I'm just going to read that again for us. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off of the land of living, for the transgression of my people he was punished. So we see Jesus, he was cut off from the land of living. The author of life, cut off from the land of living. And so he died a death that we deserved, and he did that through the crucifixion that we see in John, basically through John 19, verse 28 to 37. And what we see is that Jesus is the high priest, right, who became the sacrificial lamb. So those might be big words. What I mean there, um, Seth, a couple weeks ago, he talked about the sacrificial system. And so basically what we see in Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve, when they first sinned, if you remember in Genesis 3, God, he, like, they, they sinned and they're like, oh man, we're naked, let's get some fig leaves, right? And then God's like, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to clothe you with skin. Well, where did you get the skin? Well, he had to sacrifice an animal, started the animal sacrificial system um, to atone for, uh, for sin, to, to make that sacrifice. And so it's foreshadowing Jesus. So Jesus is not only that sacrificial lamb, right? We'll see, we see that in the Bible. Jesus is often... Um, referred to as the lamb, the animal sacrifice. But he's also the high priest to make that sacrifice. And he does that intentionally. He does it full well knowing what's going to go happen. And then we see his burial in Isaiah 53, 9. He says, he was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. So Jesus died, as maybe some of you know, Jesus died with the wicked. That was the two thieves on the cross next to him, right? He died with the wicked. And in John 19, 28 to 37, we're told that his burial was in one from a rich man, a new tomb. And so that was prophesied there as well. And then lastly, probably the biggest one is Jesus' resurrection, right? In Isaiah 53, 11, and there's other spots too. There's like 350 of these, right? But we're in Isaiah right now. So it says in, in 53, 11, after he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. So again, like, unlike any other religious system or religious leader, we have a resurrected Jesus, a resurrected God. Not a constructed religion or a system of beliefs to adhere to, but a person, God, Jesus, to follow. There's a person to follow. And if, you, if you're somebody who is like, yeah, I don't really, I don't really if, if maybe you don't understand that or you don't believe that, I would just encourage you, if you want to nerd out, if you want to kind of debate that a little bit, check out this guy, William Lane Craig, okay? 
You might not understand him, that's why I didn't quote him, but uh, he, he does a really good job, if you can understand him, about debating these things. But what we see, the, the idea is that through John 20, we have Jesus appearing to eyewitnesses, right? We have a resu- res- resurrected Jesus appearing to over 500 witnesses. And it's interesting, in that same passage, he says, blessed are those who haven't seen me and still believe, right? So blessed are the people who didn't actually physically see Jesus resurrect, but still believe. Those people will have eternal life. And so, okay, if what the Bible is saying is historically accurate, if I keep talking about, okay, Jesus, his story, it's part of the Old Testament, it's part of the New Testament. If all that's true, then what does it mean? Well, I think the Apostle Paul, he says it right here in uh, 1 Corinthians 15. So I'm going to go there, I'm going to have on the board. 1 Corinthians 15, he says this. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. Verse 2, by this gospel you are saved, right? Saying everything I just said. By this gospel you are saved. Remember that? And then he says, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance. He's going to go over the aspects of the gospel. This is of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, capital scripture, Old Testament. He died for our sins. That he was buried that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter, and then to the twelve, and after that, he appeared to 500 more. And so the Apostle Paul has his own definition of the gospel, and it's right there, and it affirms that the gospel of Jesus saves us. It restores us to a relationship that we once had back to the guy that we were always supposed to follow. And so, according to scriptures, the Old Testament, Isaiah, Jesus died, was buried, was resurrected, 700 years after the details, to fulfill his plan for me and for you. And so if this is the gospel, the good news about Jesus, and if the Bible does tell us that basically when Philip came up to the eunuch and basically asked, like, what what do I got to do to be saved, right? Um, This tells us that there is only one story, a true story, and the story has a power to save you. And it's not that the story itself has a power to save you, but the person of the story, who is Jesus, has the power to save you. This is the gospel. We were so messed up. We were disconnected from God. We were impure. We didn't have a close relationship with God. But he did something about it. We are more accepted than we can imagine. And so we all currently have or believe in um, our, or are believing in a story of our own. And we need to evaluate what that story might be today. So maybe, maybe you're like my story, right? I heard the gospel um, for the first time. It offended me. Didn't want anything to do with it. Why are you telling me what to do, Right? Isn't that normal? Like, you, you try to tell someone what to do, and they're like, you, like, you don't know me. Like, like, I follow my own story. But it wasn't until I heard the story of Jesus that I was like, I realized that, man, my story needs to change. And I was saved by the gospel, by Jesus Christ himself. Because this story is legit, and we know it because it was predicted and it was validated. And then for the Ethiopian eunuch, for example, look, just look at his story. You know, remember, he, he, he couldn't have been saved by anything else, right? He, like, he, he probably, he had a good story. He was wealthy, he was powerful, he was the treasurer, he, he was a eunuch, but he had a good story, right? So he, he was doing well. He was even going to a worship conference in Jerusalem. And so that, but he still heard and received the story of Jesus for the first time. And so, like, it doesn't matter how many times you go to church, if you go to life group, if you go to Sunday mornings, that stuff can't save you. Jesus can only save you. And so that's what we see in there. And some of you prescribe to your own story, but the gospel is God's story. It's a good story, and it's not 
a man-made story. No other story has been predicted and fulfilled 700 years prior. It's a big deal. That's why I keep talking about it. And so maybe your story is that you're chasing someone else's story. Maybe you're chasing, um, maybe you're trying to be like the other person, the rich person, the popular person. Maybe that's your story. But the only story worth chasing down and following is the one and only gospel of Jesus Christ. The one who suffered for us, who died for us, buried and raised for us. That's the only true story. And, it's, and the story is the gospel. It's salvation to all. Yahweh is salvation. So it would be easy for some of us to think that maybe that offends us, right? Um, and maybe you don't like that there is only one story, right? I know, I know Christians are accused of this all the time. We're like, you guys, you know, you believe in this like old Bible and you like let it, you know, pr- dictate your entire life and you don't even do it well. And it's like, that's true. We're not claiming to be perfect. But we know that the story of Jesus is true. And so if this is a true story, then why, why does it matter how we're saved, right? Jesus is the one who saves us. We don't like that. It's like, it, it's not a real story if we can edit it. It's like me and Tony um, were talking about my sermon. He, he was like, man, it's kind of like, you know, if you're stranded in the middle of the ocean, I don't know why you'd be in the middle of the ocean, but I don't know, I, like, I always have nightmares that I would wake up and I'm like just in the middle of an ocean and it's dark and there's like a million sharks coming at me. Just, that's just my own thing. But it's like if you're stranded in the middle of the ocean, right? And someone comes by with a jet ski. I don't know why there's a jet ski in the middle of the ocean. This is an analogy, okay? But someone comes by with a jet ski, and you're like, oh, no, man, I'm good. Like, I know I'm drowning, but I'm going to wait till like, a nice boat comes around, right? Well, that's ridiculous. And that's kind of what the gospel's saying. It's like, this is a story. This is the plan of God saving and reaching people. It's a true story. A lot of us reject that story, but it's, it's a true story. It's the one and only story. If it wasn't a real story, if we could edit our story, then it's not a real story. So what I'm saying is that we're all living according to a story. Will you choose to live your life according to a true story, one that you can't change, but instead you're asked to be a part of, right, the gospel? Are you going to um, think about that and say, man, what is my story like? Okay, so I'm actually going to invite the band up now. But as, as they come up, uh, I just got to go over one more scripture for us, okay? I'm just going to turn there. Just in closing, because we often, uh, at Medina East, we often address believers and non-believers. We don't, you know, we're not going to assume that everyone has a relationship with Jesus here. Not everyone does. And so it's important, it's important to do that. And so what we're trying to help people understand is that not making a choice to follow Jesus with our entire lives is actually making a choice not to accept Jesus. And so first Peter um, chapter 2, verse 20 and on, says this. Check this out. <clears throat> this goes back to our suffering servant passage. This might sound a little familiar to you. He says, but how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly, to God. He himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were like sheep going astray. But now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls." 
So what I just want to challenge, encourage, and maybe ask the question for all of us is, like for those of you who have, who have been called, who are followers of Christ, like do we know that Christ suffered leaving an example for us? If someone told you that following Jesus would, would be easy, you just pray the, pray the prayer and see you next Sunday, then I'm sorry, like that, that's not the full story. The full story is that following Jesus, imitating Jesus, means that we die to ourselves daily. It means that we might suffer, even how Jesus suffered. It says that we are to follow in his steps. Just to contrast a little bit in this passage, what he's saying, he says that Jesus committed no sin. So are we supposed to follow in that step? I'm like, well, no, we're, like, we're, we're messed up people. We're, we're going to sin. But we're not supposed to do that on purpose, right? And then he also says that, according to Jesus, Jesus had no deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. And just as we're evaluating our story, if we're followers of Christ, is this, can, that, can that all be said about us, about me? Even thinking my own life, I'm like, can that stuff be said about me? <laughs> when people hurt me, do I lash out and say, like, oh, well, I'm, I'm a Christian. Like, you don't, you don't do what I don't want you to do. You don't make those laws that aren't, are against my religion. Do we lash out or are we quiet like the lamb, like Jesus, who was quiet when he suffered? I mean, just look at Facebook and the news. Christians were more often um, seen as uh, opposite of this. We're more often um, known for what we're against than what we're for, right? And we're supposed to be for Jesus. We're supposed to be for love. We're supposed to be for, I mean, remember the commandment, like, love God, love others. That's what should be marking our story. And so, um, because it's this way, like, that, that's not part of Jesus' story, living that way. That our story should be leading other people, other people's stories to Jesus' story. Instead, we are to entrust ourselves to God. Our story is to resemble God's story in his footsteps. And so God was involved in people's lives. He invites us into his story, and he does it respectfully and intentionally. And so when people see you and your story, do they see Jesus? We can't reach people for Jesus like we're supposed to if our story isn't completely transformed by Jesus first. So that's like a challenge and a question for us. And then for maybe, maybe if you're here today, you got dragged here, you're not sure why you're here, right? Why, why am I listening to this guy? Maybe you're not a follower of Christ. You are being called as well, right? Much like the Ethiopian eunuch, maybe, maybe some of you, like, much like me, much like the eunuch, is like, our life is fine. We're like, we're doing okay. Like, you know, maybe you're successful, whatever. Your life's going good. But it wasn't until the story of Jesus was brought up that made us think. And now we have to make a decision. We're like, okay, am I going to believe this to be true? And if I do, how am I going to give my life to this? After all, he bore your sins on his body so that you could die to your way of life that maybe isn't working and that you will be healed of your past, your present, and your future situation. Okay, so basically the band's going to play a song now, right? And so I coerced Seth into doing the song. So if, if you don't like it, you can totally email me and blame me, but... It's an awesome song. It's like one that I've been listening to in my car a lot and kind of weeping over. That's right. I cry a little bit sometimes, okay? And so basically this is like a battle cry, okay? This is a song that's pretty much like a battle cry of Isaiah 53, portions of it. 
singing out what we just read. And so I just want to encourage you, if you are a believer, use this as a prayer, like proclaiming the truth, the awesomeness of God and his story, and allow that story to continue to transform your story. And maybe if you don't know Jesus, I would just encourage you, listen to the lyrics to Isaiah with a fresh mind, and maybe for you, pray to be with Jesus for the first time today.